and welcome to another exciting episode of the Lovebirds podcast. I'm Tassie. And I'm Bill. And this is episode 14. You may ask, Tassie, where's episode 13? Where's episode 13, Tassie? It's a good question, Bill. We had an episode that we recorded at the end of May based on two birding days, May 30th and May 31st, where we had a picnic in Tower Grove Park and shared our Doritos with some mallards. Mm-hmm. And then went to see the Central West End Rookery where there are a bunch of water birds nesting nowhere near water. Mm-hmm. And then we talked extensively about rookeries. Episode 13, the last episode, should be called Urban Burden. That's better because I had by rook or by crook. Well, that's pretty good too. We like our puns around here. That episode was lost because only about 10 minutes of our audio were recorded and we didn't feel like going back and doing it. And because 13 is a mysterious number, we decided that will be the last episode. Mm -hmm. Although we have talked about going back to the rookery now because although it was impressive when we were there at the end of May, it was just the parents and the eggs. And now apparently there are utes just running around dropping fish guts mm-hmm. and turds everywhere. <laughs> the utes are more exciting than the eggs. Yes. We should discuss our plan for the podcast going forward. Yeah, you may have noticed we're not posting every week. That's because, number one, the spring migration is over. Mm-hmm. And so it's sort of a slower time in birding in general. Number two, it's freaking hot outside. And humid. Yeah. Missouri is not fun in the summer. So we're not getting out and birding as much. Right. And then I guess the third is that I'm back at work full speed, if not a little bit busier than usual with patients with concerns about coronavirus. So I don't have a lot of time to go birding or to be doing editing. For now, we're on sort of an unofficial hiatus until fall migration starts. I would just call it summer vacation. Summer vacation, which we're breaking because we went on summer vacation and we wanted to bring you an episode. I know. We're full of contradictions. Mm -hmm. Bill, do you want to talk about our vacation we took last week from July 11th to the 17th? We decided to do the type of vacation that is realistic nowadays. So we drove Mm -hmm. and did not fly to a cabin in the mountains. I shouldn't say cabin. An Airbnb in the mountains um, right outside of Golden, Colorado. Mm -hmm. But a small, you know, socially distanced house where we were there alone and we drove the whole way and we're masked and using copious quantities of hand sanitizer. So, Mm -hmm. and then we were able from there to see multiple bird species that we hadn't seen just in the yard, as well as go to several parks to look at the birds. The weather was very nice up in the mountains Mm -hmm. and we were able to just sit out in this little backyard area and watch some of the native birds there. Without going to much effort whatsoever. And then we went to a place called Golden Gate Canyon State Park and also Rocky Mountain National Park. And And saw some species there too. Going to another place or another part of the country is a pretty good way to add to your life list Mm -hmm. if that's what you're into in birding. Um, Especially, you know, if you live in the Midwest like us, going to the West is going to be much better for a different bird species than going to the east where things are pretty much the same. Right. And even the west is probably also better than Canada, although Canada has some northern species. They do. I mean, right now Canada has our species. All the birds that we had during the winter. Yeah. (laughs) So talking about life list, I actually surpassed 100 on my own life list. I'm now at 115. Mm -hmm. And I was slightly below 100 when we set out for Colorado. So Mm -hmm. I really did benefit from the regional variation. So I guess that's a good segue into our birding news. So in addition to my list, life list topping 100, what is the birding news from the backyard? 
Well, I've mentioned that it is extremely hot and humid, but mm-hmm. nonetheless, I can still watch the birds from the window. Mm-hmm. They are still coming to the feeder. I'm trying to increase the number of hummingbirds, which are ruby-throated hummingbirds mm-hmm. in the Midwest that come to our backyard. So I actually got a new feeder in Colorado and a new little shepherd's hook, and I relocated it next to a bush mm-hmm. and located some tubular flowers around it to make it a more friendly area for hummingbirds than my previous hummingbird feeder location. And I've had marginal improvement, but even that is only a handful a day. But that's compared to like one the entire spring that we saw. That is true. It is a very big improvement. Slow growth improvement in (laughs) hummer frequency in the backyard. And then what else are we seeing that's new in the backyard? A lot of juvenile birds because this is the time of year for that. So juvenile robins, which look a lot like the adults, except that instead of the orange breast, they are very spotted Mm -hmm. on the breast. And there's juvenile Carolina wrens and house finches. There are Mississippi kites that are nesting down the street, which is pretty awesome. Mm -hmm. For those not in the know, a Mississippi kite is a gray, sleek looking hawk that have been increasingly moving into suburban areas, especially in St. Louis, but I guess all around. Are they replacing a species that's in decline? Not that I know of. Okay. I think that they fit a different niche. They don't compete too much with the red-tailed hawks or the Cooper's hawks. Interesting. um, Because their main source of food is large insects. Hmm. So like dragonflies, which they will hunt midair and catch. I know they also eat bats. And there are bats in our neighborhood. Well, there are definitely bats in our neighborhood. Um, we have one other horn to toot. Yes. So Bill for, is this a second month in a row or was there an issue between? Second month in a row. Has one of his pictures featured in the Missouri Conservationist magazine. Yay. Yay. Basically for those out of state, Missouri Conservationist is this. It's a free publication put out by the Missouri Department of Conservation. Yeah, or free if you are a resident. Uh, when you open it up, there is a little reader, reader submitted photo section. Mm -hmm. They have used last month uh, was a photo I took of a Wilson's Warbler and this month is a immature black crowned night heron. Nice. Let's say you want, you out there, want mm-hmm. to get your photos up for submission for mm-hmm. this type of thing. You can upload them to Flickr and then add them to a Missouri Conservation Department group. Mm-hmm. And I guess that's what they pick from. Well, congratulations, wildlife photographer. Thanks. I'm proud of you. I think that's the end of our birdie news. So let's talk about yeah. the birds that we, some of the birds that we saw in mm-hmm. Colorado. So we're going to talk about three species today, actually four, because under hummingbird we're talking about two different species. Um, we were going to talk about dark-eyed juncos, but we sort of started recording this podcast already, and we talked so much about juncos because they're interesting and there's a large phenotypic variance within the species that we decided to break that off into a special episode for which we may have an expert joining us. Show us your junco episode. Good pun there. Good pun. The first bird we're going to be discussing today is the Stellar's Jay. It is a stellar jay. It is a stellar jay. I like this guy. They are approximately 11.5 inches in length. They are monomorphic and they live year-round in the Rocky Mountains. 
They are a close relative of the blue jay and they share similar shape and habitat. However, they are mostly dark. They don't have the white patches that blue jays do. So to describe them, they, they're still yakety like yeah. other jays. Yeah. They have a crest that to me looks a little more dramatic than the blue jay crest. Their head is black. Their bill is black. And they do have some white forehead spots and sort of a beard spot. Their breast is gray, which goes into a blue on their belly. Their wings are are black and blue striped and apparently they are the palest blue on their rump <laughs> so i didn't get to say the latin name yet oh yes which is cyanocita stellari mm -hmm. mm -hmm. so a friend of ours reacted to a picture that i had taken of a seller's jay as saying that they are goth blue jays pretty true they're the emo kids yeah which is pretty great they have a cute little white eyebrow mm -hmm. yeah it looks so great they look sort of moody mm -hmm. so we saw this guy right around bear lake in rocky mountain national park and it was just performing it was hopping up and down and being really dramatic and like flipping around and stuff and just being very charming it's a corvid so it is a smart bird mm -hmm. and i'm sure that those individuals in particular you know are used to the ones that live in the national park showing off yeah. for the visitors and although uh, we were the only ones that seemed particularly taken with it i know people don't realize the beauty that is right in front of them they don't do we have anything else to say about Stellar's Jay? So I, I got a new book called What It's Like to Be a Bird by David Allen Sibley. Sibley, you may recognize from the Sibley Field Guides. Mm -hmm. And this is a really fascinating book. Little easy to read sort of snippets of behavior about like, well, why is the bird doing that? And a lot of biology from what I've seen with you reading it. But accessible biology. Mm -hmm. For example, we were just talking about how squawky jays can be. There's a little snippet in this book about how jays make very loud sounds, yet their ears are only less than an inch away from their mouth. So why don't they damage their own hearing? Mm -hmm. Apparently, I guess different birds have different strategies for this, but many birds, their jaw opens and it closes their ear canal. And, uh, and it automatically closes their ear canal. That is baller. Mm -hmm. Good job, Emo J. Birds also, I'm quoting Sibley, have the ability to restore damaged hearing by growing new hair cells inside their ear, something humans cannot do. Right, that's the main reason humans have to get hearing aids. Birds. Mm -hmm. Birds are amazing. Just one more factoid mm -hmm. to say that birds are better. Pretty much. How would you spell emo J? It would be just emo dash J. So it's basically emoji. Yes. Okay. So that's how they coined the term. Yes, was the emo J. So yeah, the Stellar's J. We talked before about how the blue J is sort of the police of the environment. Is the Stellar's J similar? I believe so. Mm -hmm. And I think geographically, the blue J's range ends at the Rocky Mountains and then the Stellar's J picks up, takes over the West Coast. Okay. Are we ready to move on? Mm -hmm. So the next bird we're going to discuss is another corvid, so mm -hmm. another large, intelligent bird, and it is the black-billed magpie. Mm -hmm. So this guy is huge. They're 19 inches long, which puts them just a bit smaller than the pileated woodpecker. Yeah. So big, big bird, big bird. Black-billed magpie, pica hudsonia. So this is a 19-inch bird. They are monomorphic, and they live year-round in the Rocky Mountains. Tassie will get into more detail, but they basically look like... Fancy crows. Fancy crows. Mm -hmm. When people are called magpies, it's because they like gather shiny objects. I can't say for sure, but I think that's something that all corvids do. Or okay. at least the larger the crows and the ravens and the magpies. 
because I didn't see any mention of it when I was reading about it, but I probably didn't dig deep enough. So to describe, in general, its body is black, especially the head, neck, and breast. The breast and belly take over and go white along with the flanks and sort of a top portion of the wing. And then the rest of the wing is black fading into sort of a bluish green. And then that continues down the tail, which mm -hmm. is very long. And it, you see the flashes of color with the white when it flies. It's very striking. Mm -hmm. In terms of behavior, I have that it lives in prairies and parklands with scattered trees, which makes sense because we saw this up at the top of the mountain in our Airbnb where, you know, there's no grass. It's just a field of dirt and there are scattered trees. According to a 2014 BBC article, magpies actually ignore and avoid shiny and blue objects. They are actually frightened of them because they are novel and novel things may prove dangerous. It's a very smart bird. Mm -hmm. Now this may refer to European magpies. The European magpies we saw looked exactly like the American magpies we saw. And so I'm making an inference that they both have the same behavior, which is very unscientific. So don't trust me. To continue with the behavior of the magpies, you tend to see them on fence posts and along roads. They feed on seas and animals, a variety of things small prey and they tend to forage on the ground their flight is pretty level and they have steady sort of rowing wing beats that's what i've got on the magpie they also have squawky calls right but they're not what was the one we were hearing yelling that sounded like like a frat guy hiking was that uh, the raven that was the raven <laughs> <laughs> or unless it was frat guys hiking in my yes Hard to say, hard to yes. say. Did I say that it has a black bill and a little bit of kind of a white area around the eye? I don't recall. Well, the one we saw has a black bill. There is okay. another species that's the yellow-billed magpie. But that only lives in certain areas of California. Okay. On to our next birds, which are very small indeed. It's hard to talk about one without the other, so we're just going to do both. One is the broad-tailed hummingbird, which is the one we saw recently in Colorado, and the other is the ruby-throated hummingbird, which is our backyard hummingbird here. And the reason we're talking about them together is that they look the same. To the casual glance of most people, mm -hmm. they are identical. Mm -hmm. Their ranges really don't overlap, mm -hmm. or at least not at, only in extreme locations. Mm -hmm. So the ruby-throated hummingbird is basically the only hummingbird in the eastern half of North America. Right. And I think it's what a lot of people are familiar with, where it has a green back and the males have the red throat. Yep. Assuming you see it in the light. If you don't, it looks black. And that is also what the broad-tailed hummingbird looks like. Mm -hmm. So I, for one, was pretty surprised that everywhere we went in the mountains, there were hummingbirds, mm -hmm. which you think of as such a tropical bird. And of course, it will winter in the tropics, but in the summer, they're all over the place. I will also mention that there was lots of merch featuring hummingbirds in like every little gift store we went into. Mm -hmm. So let's talk about the broad-tailed first. Sure. This bird is four inches from head to toe, I guess. Does that include their beak? Uh, I believe that is from the end of the beak to the end of the tail. And it matters for this bird because their beak is like twice as long as their head, a very elongated beak. They are dimorphic. And in the summer slash breeding season, they live in mountain meadows and forests, but they do migrate to Central America in the winter. 
They prefer open forests near streams. They feed at flowers and feeders while hovering and use their long beak and tongue to really get down into the flower center. They can also grab insects in the midair and they nest in trees in a small cup nest. And apparently when the male is defending the nest, he'll go up to the top of the trees and he like swoops down and kind of like darts at the predator. To describe them, they are, like I said, very small. This is a female that I'm describing. They have a green cap and back as well as sort of greenish grayish wings and a little bit of a sort of brownish rump lower belly area but then their belly and neck are white and they have a long black bill but the males have a ruby throat and then the under part of their tail is black they also have buffy flanks Yes, sorry, that was what I was trying to say, yeah. brownish, and buffy, buffy flanks. So the broad-tailed hummingbird is the Salasphorus platycircus. But so much do they not overlap with us is that I couldn't, I have the Sibley East bird guide, whereas Bill has the entire Sibley North American bird guide. This was not in my bird guide. Right. Because they just don't show up here. And then to discuss the ruby-throated hummingbird. Which is the Archilochus colubris. Hmm. Archilochus colubris. Okay. Archilochus colubris. Yes. If I start talking again, I'm going to say it again. <laughs> they are also four inches long and are dimorphic. They are here in Missouri in the late spring and summertime. And they do also migrate to Central America. They tend to prefer wooded areas and wood edges. They feed at feeders and flowers. And the adult male's wings buzz in flight. Mm-hmm. So you're not hearing a call, you're hearing like literally the fast feeding of the wings. Yes. In terms of appearance, very similar to the broad-tailed hummingbird. Mm-hmm. I guess I would mention that it has sort of a black mark kind of across its midface with the red below it. And then there's like a patch of white high on the breast before the green takes over. And then the green kind of like wraps around and meets at the like sternal area mm-hmm. at the center of the belly. Like a vest. Like a vest. Yeah, he's fancy. I guess we're not really going into all of the spectacular details about hummingbirds in general. Right. I I mean, I think hummingbirds are appreciated because they are brilliantly colored and sort of shiny and they're very small and they do some really crazy things biologically. Also, you know, when you watch them in person, they're very cranky with one another. They are. Especially the, the males. Mm-hmm. We were sitting, you know, watching the bird feeder that Bill purchased. And they were just zipping around right near us. And our friends Kevin and Meredith have their hammock position between two hummingbird feeders. And the hummers will just fly back and forth over their heads. They're nonplussed by humans, but they are cranky with each other. Yes. Do we have anything else to say about this? Well, I would say that for a Midwestern birder, some of the other interesting birds that I had never seen before are the mountain chickadee, which is similar to the Carolina and black cap chickadees, though it has a more striped head. Mm-hmm. There was the Cordilleran flycatcher, mm-hmm. the McGillivray's warbler. I'm not making these up. <laughs> There's the Western Tanager, Mm -hmm. the American Three-Toed Woodpecker. Mm -hmm. Just another little sampling of birds that we don't get to see in St. Louis. Yep. And that's about it. Yeah, thank you for listening. Um, I don't think we have any reader mail, really. We've just had a few people asking about the status of the podcast since we hadn't posted in a while. So like we said, this episode will be up and then hopefully a special episode. And then we hope to come off of vacation and start posting more regularly in fall migration. Sounds good. All right. As always, you can find us at the Podomatic app as well as on Twitter. And Bill Maholsky is on Instagram at Songbill. He's also at Flickr. And if you pick up a copy of Missouri Concert, you can see him there too. 
And as always, keep watching the skies. Okay. Mm-hmm. Stay classy. Thank you very much for listening for episode 14 of Lovebirds. This is Tassie signing off. And Bill. Bye. Bye.